Well, good morning. Good to see you guys again. I'm greeting you as if I hadn't already just greeted you, but we're also now welcoming all of our campuses uh, with us as well. We're glad that all of you are with us. Hey, Pastor Greg, uh, the OG, the original, he's out at John's Island today. And so John's Island, straighten him out for us, you know, take care of him. Uh, but wherever you happen to be watching, we're glad that you guys are with us. Uh, any of our locations, maybe you're joining us online right now. Maybe one of your extended family or friends just got dedicated and you're checking out Seacoast with us. We're so glad that you guys are with us. And of course, we greet and welcome all of you that are here as well. Uh, it's going to be a great, great weekend. Before I jump into our topic, I know several of you have reached out to the church asking about what's been happening in Texas. And some of you have friends and family. Some of you may be joining us from Texas. And I just want to let you know, we are already involved and we will continue to be more involved. We've already sent a gift to Convoy of Hope which is passing out, distributing water and food all throughout Texas right now. And so you guys are part of that. If you want to give specifically towards that, you're welcome to do that. You can text RELIEF plus any amount to 320-320, and we will follow up. We will serve the people in, in Texas. That'll go directly to them. You know, when something like this happens, the weather event that's been happening, some will criticize or, or, or kind of play Monday morning quarterback the church's job is just to serve and love and care and do what Jesus would do. And so that's what we're going to do. And we are so thankful that you guys, your generosity, how that works is we raised money in December for our legacy offering. And our goal was to have $100,000 to just give away towards disaster relief this year. So our first check that we've already sent was money you've already given us that we've already given away. And so thank you guys for your generosity and being involved in serving those people. As we jump into this week's Message. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been in a car accident? Just show of hands, car accident. Wow. Some bad drivers here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, if you're watching at the campuses, no, a lot of us have, right? Uh, I was reminded uh, at 16 years old, I had recently got my driver's license and I was driving at the time a Nissan 300Z 1984. I'm talking vintage. I think I got a picture of the car. I mean, this is, I mean, that not just Lisa, I'm sorry you didn't get to know me when I was driving that. That's just, it was great, great, great car. And uh, I had been at an away game, a uh, basketball game. I played basketball, varsity basketball. We got home at about two o'clock in the morning and I was driving home from downtown Charleston. Had not been drinking any of that stuff, but I'm, I'm driving home and all of a sudden I notice on 526 the, the dreaded blue lights, right? You guys have seen them in your rear view mirror. It's like, ah, oh, you know, the terror that happens when you're, you're getting pulled over by a cop. And so I pull, I pull over and I'm nervous. I've, I parked my car. This car was an automatic transition, transmission. And it was one of those that park was at the top, then reverse, you know, kind of a standard deal. And I threw it up into park and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm clutching the steering wheel. You know, my, my dad had taught me just two hands on the steering wheel and these lights are in my rearview mirror. I'm disoriented. They're getting closer they're getting closer. They're getting, I'm wondering, why is this guy getting so close onto my tail? And then all of a sudden, bang, he runs into me. This police officer runs into me on 526. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Now I'm scared and I'm mad. Like, what is this guy doing? And so he gets out of his car and he, he hurries up to my door and he says, son, I need you to get out of the car right now. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get out of the car. What, what, what's, what's going on? I said, why, why did you hit me? And he said, I was getting ready to ask you the same thing. Why did you hit me? I'm like, oh, this is not good. What happened is I didn't quite get all the way to park. I got to reverse and I was so disoriented that I ended up backing into the police officer. Oh my gosh. You know, and so I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, no. You just backed in 
to me. And I'm, I thank God he was a great police officer and he handled me gently. I was able to make a contribution to the Mount Pleasant economy uh, through a ticket. It's called, uh, I think it's called un improper start from a stop. So that's a real thing for those of you out there driving. You don't want to back into a police officer. But so, so here's the deal. Uh, why did I share that? Just to humiliate myself in front of you. No. So I'm in this situation. I experienced the same exact thing that this police officer experienced. I had a version of what happened, and he had a version of what happened. In this case, as you know, my version was wrong, and his version was right. And, you know, we live in a culture right now where, you know, we're all kind of experiencing life. We're experiencing church. We're experiencing, you know, God and our faith. And, and so often in our culture, we've all got different versions of truth. And, and, you know, culture loves that, right? You, you do you, boo. You know, you just be you. And, and, you know, you live your truth. I'll live my truth. And we'll all be okay. Here's the problem. That didn't work out very well in my accident, right? There was a version of truth. I was living my version of truth, but it was actually, it was not true. It was a lie. And, and when, when you do your truth and I do my truth, if my truth doesn't align with God's truth, then it's, then it's a lie. It's a false version of reality. And so we're starting a series of conversations, a message series called Common Ground. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the essential doctrines of our faith. And we want to make sure that we are rooted and established in not our own truth, not whatever culture tells us to do, but in God's truth. And some of you, maybe you've been coming to Seacoast for a while. This is be great for you. Maybe you've wondered, how does, how does Seacoast handle beliefs? We're a non-denominational church, and man, we got pastors on our staff. Some grew up Catholic. Some were charismatic, Pentecostal. Some were Baptist. Some were Episcopal. How do you manage your beliefs in an environment like that? And what we do, I'll give you the short version, is we have essential beliefs. And on our essential beliefs, which we're going to talk about during the series, we have unity on those. And then we have non-essential beliefs. Listen to what I didn't say. I didn't say non-important. They are very important things, but non-essential, which would be things that very godly people for hundreds of years have seen in different perspectives. One of those examples would be a woman's role in ministry. And at Seacoast, Our belief is that women can, it's egalitarian is what they say, but the women can, can speak and women can, can lead, women can be pastors. And there are other people and great people, godly people that see that a little bit differently. You may have grown up in a church where you see that a little bit differently. That's okay. We consider that in the non-essential beliefs. It's not essential to our salvation, our relationship with God. We can agree to disagree. In our essential beliefs, we have unity. In our non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. We have liberty, but we can still be a part of the same family even though we don't agree. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about some fun things. Uh, what happens after you die? What about eternity? You know, who, who's the Holy Spirit? What about the Bible? What should our interaction and relationship with the Bible look like? Who's Jesus? How do I be saved? Just some basic fundamentals of our faith. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to be a part of it. We're not going to answer every question that you have. Uh, we, we would love for you to submit questions. You can do that on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just submit questions via the messages. Uh, and we want to touch on as many of those as we can, but there's no way we can cover all of it. So here's what we've done. We've set up a resource page for you. It's called, it's seacoast.org backslash common ground, seacoast.org backslash common ground. And we'll not only have all of our beliefs laid out there, but we also have 
links to some other websites that dig deep into some of these questions. Somebody asked me this week, I know God is, uh, I'm created in God's image, but who created God? How did God get created? You know, I'm not going to get deep into that stuff, but there's going to be a page that digs deep into that from very smart people. Uh, by the way, you don't have to check your faith at the door in order to believe in God. And we're going to help you see that. You can under very wise God and science, you know, aren't like at odds with each other. You can actually have a scientific mind and see God's hand in the creation of the world. Today, my topic is God. So I get to explain God to you in 30 minutes. And so uh, that should be easy, right? No, but, but, but I'm thankful that scripture, because there's a lot of different directions we could go with that, but the scripture simplifies a lot of times when we, we tend to complicate things. And so our anchor verse for today is found in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and here's what it says, verse six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want us all to answer three questions today. That's my goal. Three questions that all of us, no matter whether you're brand new to church and you aren't sure what you believe about any of this, or you've been following God for a long, long time, we need to, we need to answer these three questions. The first question is this, does God exist? Does God exist? The author of Hebrews says, if, if, you, if you're going to come to God, you need to believe that he exists. And, and chances are, most of us have, have wrestled with this at some point in our life or another. Is, is all of this real? I grew up in a, a pastor's home. I grew up in the church. Some of you may have had my experience where it wasn't until later in life that I began to ask, like, really, is this all? Is this, is this true? Some of you may be asking that question today. And by the way, when I say that on our essential beliefs, we have unity, that doesn't mean that you have to believe the same thing we believe to, to come to church here. Uh, you are welcome to come here with any of your questions, any of your doubts. I am convinced that there's no question that you have or no doubt that you have that, that God is afraid of. God's not afraid of our doubts, but we, we need to wrestle with those. If we just leave them unspoken, then we end up getting in our head and we can end up getting confused. So does God exist? Does God exist? Here's a couple of arguments for why God exists. And again, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive deal here. That could take a long time, but we do have some more on that website. You have the argument from creation, the argument from creation. In Romans, Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and he was addressing this question that a lot of people have, like, what about the people that never heard? Like, what about the people that they didn't have a church? They didn't have a church. They never heard a preacher share the good news about Jesus and about who God is. And here's what Paul said to him. He said, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul's saying, listen, go, go outside. Have you been outside lately? Have you seen a sunrise? Have you seen a sunset? I know our family went to the mountains this past week, the mountains in West Virginia, which I know if you're watching out West, you're saying those aren't real mountains. They're pretty, pretty remarkable. I've been to both, but it's, it's, it's amazing. You stand in the mountains and you're like, wow, how did all of this come to be? And creation shows us that there is a creator. There is no way that all that we see in creation just happened. It's cause and effect. You learn this very early on. 
For every effect, there is a cause. Something had to happen to start and, and to implement creation. The reality is we just did a child dedication, right? Uh, and all of us at some point, we had a beginning. We had a beginning. And in order for us to have a beginning, there had to be something that caused our beginning. Now, in our own lives, that, that, that was a moment called conception. And we'll save that for another series. But you get what I'm saying. Everybody is here because something happened. Something initiated that. And the same is true of planet Earth. See, I don't know what you believe about creation, about whether it happened in six literal days or whether that was spread out over thousands and thousands of years. Some of you may be like, I, I, what about the Big Bang theory and all of that stuff? And here's, here's what I would say. Within this conversation, there's a lot of aspects that we could all see differently and maybe interpret a little bit differently. But what we would foundationally have to agree on is that God started it. God created. Was there a big bang? I actually wasn't there. I don't know. Some of you may have been there. I wasn't there. I imagine speaking the heavens and earth into existence probably came with a pretty awesome demonstration, right? But, but the reality is God caused it. It's the argument of creation. There is no way that this happened. And I've heard several great illustrations about this, but the idea that earth would have formed in the way that it did, just the right amount of distance from the sun that we don't burn up or that we don't freeze to death, that the, the stars and the planets were hung. The idea that that happened on accident takes a whole lot more faith than to believe that there was a creator that did it. It's like taking every piece of that Nissan 300Z and dropping them individually off of a building and it landing in a perfectly fashioned vehicle. It's, it, it's not going to happen without a creator. So you have the argument of creation. You also have the argument from design. Does God exist? Look at the design, not only of creation, but of our bodies, of, of each of us. We've been designed uniquely. I love David says in Psalms 139, he says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. See, David is going, God, you, of course, he, it sounds a little arrogant. It says, you just did a great job with me, right? But he's like, man, I, I just know that my design was done with intent. And, and God, uh, there are several different places in scripture. One in Acts talks about we are Christ's workmanship, God's handiwork. He, he, he took great intention to design you and me. My daughter, Ellie, this week came home from school. She had a picture that she had drawn. drawn. I was actually going to bring it to you, but our dogs ate it. So that's just sad. Um, but, but so she brings it to me and she's like, dad, look at this picture. And I was like, man, it is amazing. Ellie, you did a great job. Look at that elephant and that giraffe. And I was like, oh, look at that. That's a goat. That's incredible. And she goes, daddy, that's not a goat. It's a fish. Oh, it looks like a goat to me, but it's still really cool. Baby. It's like, but I could argue with her, but she's, she's the artist, right? She's the designer. She gets to say what it is. And God is the designer over all of universe, all of us. Some of you go, well, why does God have, want to have input in you know, my sex life or how I spend my money or what marriage is all about? It's because he designed it. He knows how it works best. And, and I have three children. And for every single one of them at their birth, when I saw out of nothing, God created these incredible human beings and their fingers all worked and their bodies were, and it's like, wow, 
I can't experience something like that without having a stronger faith in God. There's no way that this is all just kind of coincidental. The human eye, just amazing. Some of you guys have the iPhone 12 Pro Max, whatever it is. I can tell you that camera has nothing on the human eye. What the eye can capture, what God designed and created, it's, it's evidence that he exists. There can't be great design without a designer. There can't be great art without an artist. So you have the argument from creation, from design. I won't get dig deep into the next one, the argument from moral law. This essentially says there is a universal right and wrong. There is a moral law that all of our countries, we, we have a lot of things we don't see eye to eye, but there is a baseline of moral law that we would agree on. And if there is a moral law, that means there is a moral law giver and lawmaker. That's God. You can dig deeper on that website if you want to understand more about that. The one that probably resonates with me the most is the argument from testimony. The argument from testimony. In fact, Hebrews 11, where we got that passage that we're studying today, that actually is a chapter of testimonies of men and women who, it's called the, the, we call it the wall of faith, right? These incredible people. And it's just going story after story after story going, this person saw God move in this way. Man, you read through the Old Testament and it'd be very common for moms and dads to sit down with their kids and go, you need to know the testimony of what God has done for us. See, we used to be slaves in Egypt, but God showed up. And Pharaoh, he didn't believe in God. He said, I don't know who this God is you're talking about. And God came with these plagues and these miracles, and he parted the Red Sea, and he brought us to freedom. And they would share that testimony generation after generation after generation, which built the faith of those people. We have plenty of biblical examples. We have historical examples of testimonies. I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote Mere Christianity. Of course, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, just an incredible mind. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God, at least an agnostic. And, and he began to pursue mentally, is this true? Could this be true? And after he studied it all, he came to the, the conclusion, there's no way that there isn't a God. There's no way that the Bible isn't real. He wrote Mere Christianity, just a phenomenal book. If you're wrestling with some of these questions about does God exist? And then I got my own testimonies. Our church has our own testimonies. See, you and I can argue all day long, but you can't take away what I've seen God do in my own life. Started at 18 years old when I was walking, running far from him on a path that was going to lead to destruction because I thought that's what I wanted. And God showed up in my life in a small group here at Seacoast. And he saved me from death, from my sin. And he turned my life around. The things that I was desiring back then, I have no no desire for anymore. It's been certainly ups and downs and not perfect, but I have a story and I've seen God. I've seen him heal in this church. I've seen him do incredible things. We have the argument from our testimony. So let me ask you that question. Do you believe that God exists? Do you? I know 95% of us probably do. Some of us may be wrestling with that. And I would just encourage you, don't, don't let it stay in your head. Ask the questions, dig deeper. God's not afraid of your questions. In fact, when we ask questions, I think God leans in because it opens up a connection, an opportunity for him to, to show us who he is and what he's up to. A lot of you, 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 you have this resolve, but you've got coworkers, you've got kids, you've got people with questions and you just got to know if we're going to come to God, we got to believe that he exists. That's question number one. 
Second question is this. Does he reward? Does he reward? See, for most of us, we believe that he exists, but this is the one that can kind of throw us off from time to time. In fact, I want us to read that verse again in Hebrews eleven six. Let's do it out loud. We'll read it out loud together. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Y'all, hang on one second. Section 301 wasn't reading out loud with us. Can you guys read out loud? We're all going to read this out loud together. I'm just kidding. I see you guys up there. Let's read it out loud. Everybody together. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not only that he exists, but that he rewards. He rewards. I love there's a quote from A.W. Tozer. And he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Isn't that powerful? What comes to our mind when we think of God? So let me ask you that question. When you pray, when you think about God, what do you envision his posture is towards you? Is he, is he kind of like, all right, what do you got this time? Or maybe you grew up in a church that just shouted a lot, right? And just pointed fingers. And maybe do you envision God just pointing his finger at you, getting angry with you? What do you envision him to look like when you're talking to him? Uh, what, what if he was an emoji? I've got some emojis here. Which of the emojis would you envision to be God? <laughs> Is it that red one on the left? You know, just mad, angry, upset. Maybe the one right next to it. I think that's that guy's saying a bad word. Do you envision God just like spiting you? Here's the emoji I think that would best represent God's heart towards you. Just, just he's looking at you with the eyes of love. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to give you three questions that trip us up in terms of our, our understanding of God and his love for, towards us. Three questions most of us deal with from time to time. One is, is God mad at me? Have you ever asked that question? Wondered, is God mad at me? When's the last time somebody asked you or you asked somebody, are you mad at me? It happened to me just the other day, a couple weeks ago, my assistant, Kathy, she was like, hey, Josh, I just want to check in. Are, are you upset with me about something? And that's a very insecure place, isn't it? When you think somebody's mad at you, but you're not sure. And you're kind of like, should I, are we good? Are we not good? I'm not sure where we're at. And in her case, I was like, no, no, no I'm not. Did I, am I acting like it? You know, my, my bad. But so many of us, we go through our, our journey with God and we're just not sure if he's mad at us or not. Like, are we okay, God? Or is something like, did I do it, you know, and are you mad at me? And, but, but if you study scripture, you'll see that there are times that God has been mad. By the way, if you're a parent here today, how many parents have ever been mad at their kids? Bunch of liars in this place. No, it's, it's normal and natural to be angry at our kids from time to time when they do stuff that hurts somebody else or is going to harm themselves or reveals character that, that's, you know, it's, it's okay to be mad at your kids. It's not okay to discipline them out of your anger. We want to discipline them out of our love for them. And so has God been, of, of course, if you look through scripture, you'll see times that God was upset. God, Jesus flipped tables, you know, in the temple. But, but here's what you, the, the deal. If you study scripture, you'll see God is always the one that is seeking us to make things right. When we've sinned Isaiah 118, he says he wants to settle the matter and erase everything that we've done wrong. 
In Hosea 14.4, which by the way, Hosea is an incredible book of the Bible that is all about Hosea, the, the prophet who pursues a prostitute. God wants us to see it doesn't matter what you've done. He pursues us. He loves us. In Hosea 14, God says that he loves us and heals us. He's turned his anger away from us. Isaiah 12.1 says that God has turned his anger away to comfort us. Does God have wrath? Yes. What is his wrath all about? It's about sin. Because sin separates us from him. Sin causes damage in our relationships with each other. Sin causes damage in our own soul. And so, yes, there is anger over sin. But here's the good news. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've trusted him for salvation, that anger, it's been resolved. <laughs> it's been, he, he's not mad at you anymore. If, you, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've repented of your sin, he's not mad at you anymore. When you come to him, you don't have to wonder if he's angry. He is leaning in. He paid a huge price for you. Well, well, pastor, what about the sin that I committed yesterday? He's not mad at you over that. Now, do you need to repent of that? Do you need to continue to grow into his image? Yeah, of course you do. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between someone who is trying to get it right because you're afraid you're going to make somebody mad versus somebody who is so secure in God's love for you that you just want to lean in. You want to be more like him. You want to strip away anything that would hinder that relationship. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. A lot of us need to wrestle with it. And I hope for some of you, you'll be set free today from that mindset, that attitude, that thought that God is mad at you. For some of you, for the very first time, you just say, God, I want to receive your love. But none of us in here, whether you're standing up here preaching, whether you attend and never miss, whether you're here for the first time or you're here for the first time in a long time, none of us have earned God's love. He did it all <clears throat> on the cross. And he offers a free gift of salvation to those of us that would just say, hey, I want to I receive that. I want to I turn from my sin and I want to receive your love. Some of us wrestle with the question, does he really understand me? <laughs> like, does, does God get me? It's the cry of every anguished teenager, isn't it? You, you don't understand me. Mom and dad, you don't, you don't get me. Can I tell you, God understands you? He knows you perfectly. Matthew 10.10 says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. How many of you know the number of hairs on your head? You counted them lately? Not many of us, right? Maybe uh, Greg, uh, Jane, John's Island campus, my dad, he, he knows pretty close. But most of us, right? God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us. He would have said the same thing if he was here. So just, you know. But Psalms 139, we read it earlier. David just talks about how God knows the innermost parts of us and the inner workings of our soul, and he so understands us. The Bible in the New Testament compares it to a sheep and a shepherd, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, and, and it talks about how sheep know the shepherd's voice, but that shepherd knows his sheep. Can you imagine that? They even, I've been to Israel, they name their sheep. I'm like, they all look the same to me, but a good shepherd actually knows each sheep and can distinguish them from the others. And when one gets lost, the Bible says the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go pursue that one. God knows you. He understands you. Those thoughts that you've had, those things that you feel like maybe you've fallen short, he, he gets it. He knows you and understands you. Is he mad at you? No. Does he understand you? Yes. Last question is, does he like me? <laughs> does he like me? I almost said, does he love me? 
But a lot of us in our relationships with parents, we know that good parents, like they're obligated to love us, right? But they may not always like us. I think a deeper question for us is, does God like you? Does he delight in you? See, most of us want more than just to be loved by our parents. We want to be liked by our heavenly father. And I'm reminded of Jesus's baptism. When he comes out of the water, mind you, he's not committed or he's not performed a single miracle. Uh, he hasn't fulfilled his destiny yet. He hasn't you know, risen from the dead. He hasn't saved other people. He hadn't done anything yet. He's just gotten baptized. And God's voice comes and he says, this is my son and whom I love and I'm well pleased. And those same th three things he says to you and I in Christ, you are his son, daughter. He affirms that relationship with you. He loves you, but he's also proud of you. Before you close that deal, he's proud of you. Before you figured out that addiction and got free from it, he's, he loves you. He's with you. He's proud of you. God not only loves you, but he likes you. He delights in us. And it's all through the pages of scripture. So does God exist? But secondly, does he reward? I'll go back to that question I asked earlier. What's God's countenance towards you? I hope that that'll shift for a lot of you today, that you'll be freed up from feeling like there is a God that is distant and angry and upset with you, that though no, his heart is to come after you, his heart is to lean in when you've got questions, when you're hurting, when you're struggling. The last question that we have to ask related to God, does he exist? Does he reward? And this one, if you've resolved the first two, is probably the most important. Am I seeking him? Am I seeking him? Remember, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Am I seeking him? Why does God want you to seek him? Why does he want that? Yeah, I was thinking about that this week and have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with maybe a child or grandchild, niece, nephew? Love playing hide-and-go-seek with my kids. You know, and, and the point is not that they would just go looking for me and never find me, right? Like the prize is when they find me when I'm hiding. And it's like this wrestling with me. That's, that's our, we express love by just throwing each other on the ground. You know, we'll wrestle each other and tickle each other. Whatever it is, it's that moment of, of when, when they find me. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Why does God want us to earnestly seek him? Because the greatest reward that we'll ever get is when we find him, <laughs> when we find him. And that's not a question, it's a guarantee. In fact, Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, with all of your heart. Jesus said, ask and, and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. If we seek God earnestly, we will find him and he will reward us in that finding and in that seeking. And so the question is, are you seeking him? And notice I didn't ask you if you have ever sought him. If you sought him in the past, you know, there are a lot of us that maybe we have done that in the past, but, but what's the posture today? Are you seeking God? 
I want to invite you on a journey with us. This series that we're doing called Common Ground, it's going to be a series of seeking him. We're studying him. We're going to be looking at different aspects of him. Next week, we're going to talk all about Jesus. What, who is Jesus and what, 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 what role did Jesus play, right? In, in our relationship with God, what role does he play today for us? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can help you, can bring comfort to you, can, can, can walk alongside of us. We're going to seek God together. And we're going to conclude this series the weekend before Easter. And I'm just inviting all of you to join us on a, a journey of seeking him together. And as we do it, I'm believing. My verse of the day on the Bible app today was, hunger, those who, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And there are some of us that we've been seeking, hungering, thirsting after things that have only left us more empty and have only left us wanting more. And the invitation is that we would earnestly seek him. And so, by the way, that's more than just a showing up on a weekend every now and then. And I'm so glad if you're here, maybe if you're here for the first time in a long time, but it's a, it's a journey. It's a heart's posture that says, man, I'm, gonna, I'm going to lean in to my relationship with him. And that's, that's, that's what I hope that we'll all do together as a church. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity and the clarity of your word. Lord, that you just, so simple. Lord, that those of us that come to you, we need to believe that you exist. And I pray, Lord, for my friends that are here today that may be struggling with doubt. Lord, that they're, they're wrestling that down. And I just thank you, God, that that our doubts don't intimidate you. Our doubts don't scare you. In fact, I believe you delight in us when we ask those questions because they're only gonna lead us to a greater understanding of who you are and what you wanna do in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that during this response time, Lord, that you would meet us in that place of our questions. And Lord, that there would be a connection. Lord, that you'd bring uh, your word and your truth to the areas of doubt. But Lord, I thank you that you reward those who earnestly seek you. I thank you for what you did on the cross for us. I thank you, Lord, for saving us. I thank you, Lord, that we never have to wonder again whether you're mad at us. God, when we fall short, when we screw up, when we make a mess out of our lives, Lord, I thank you that you lean in. Lord, that you lean in and you help us by washing away our sins. And Lord, by weaving the mess that we create into something beautiful. And so God, we can make a commitment today to seek you. Lord, we're gonna lean in. And I pray, Lord, that in as many ways as there are people in this room and watching online or at campuses, that you would meet us in the seeking and that you would reward us by helping us find you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we commit this journey to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.